Episode 94 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Raymond Verheyen, the founder and CEO of Football Coach Evolution. Raymond came on to talk about what created his passion for football fitness. He spoke about his definition of football fitness and how we test football uh, football fitness as well. We also spoke about um, some considerations when preparing players for competitive games post-lockdown and isolated versus contextual speed work as well. So I'm sure there'll be many opinions on this one. It was great to catch up with Raymond. He's someone that I've not spoke to before and someone that I did want to get on the podcast. Um, So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please, as always, share the show um, and it'd be great to hear what your takeaways are from the show as well. Um, So please give it a retweet, a share on Instagram and send it out to friends, family, colleagues who may be interested in the show as well. And please make sure that you subscribe on the show as well. So on iTunes and Spotify. So um, as soon as we upload the new show of the week, that'll come straight through to your device, whatever you listen on. Um, But thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. We've had some great feedback recently on some previous shows. Um, The last show with Fraser Finlay and the previous one before that with Kev Paxton. Um, Some really, really good guests recently and some really good guests coming up as well. So really excited to bring you some future episodes too. So enjoy episode 94 with Raymond Verheyen. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Raymond Verheyen. Raymond, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for giving up your time and coming on the podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm uh, looking forward to your, to your questions. Yeah, and we'll dive straight in because I know you're short on time. You're a very busy man, so um, we'll dive straight in. But what I wanted to start with is to dive into your background and into what ignited your passion into football fitness. Um, That was my experience as a player uh, because as a player, uh, I had to do things uh, that uh, intuitively uh, felt uh, not okay. Uh, but uh, when you are 16 or 18, you don't have the knowledge and, and, and the verbal ability uh, to put things in words. So uh, besides uh, some frustration, uh, the, the conversation doesn't go any further. Um, and then um, when I uh, got injured, um, and uh, because I was, I was doing okay, I was playing in the Dutch under-17 team, so... Uh, at that moment, you think you are on the right track, and then when you have to uh, when you have to retire uh, due to injury, uh, yeah, obviously uh, your whole world falls apart. But uh, I, I try to turn a, a disadvantage into an advantage, and um, consciously or unconsciously, I started to look for uh, for answers because uh, I wasn't only. Uh, uh, curious about uh, the, the the fitness training, but also the amount of fitness training because uh, I think that uh, I am a typical example of overuse, uh, and that my my injury was basically unnecessary. Um, so uh, that's why I decided to uh, to go to the Free University in Amsterdam and later also uh, John Moores in in Liverpool. Uh, besides uh, getting my coaching uh, badges. Uh, yeah, so that's basically the origin of my uh, curiosity. Yeah, I think that stems with a lot of coaches, doesn't it? Some sort of experience like that. So, um, yeah, that's one thing I didn't know. So it's, it's good to learn new things. So I wanted to dive into a question, Raymond, that can be seen probably as quite broad, but I know I've heard you answer this before and I, and I, I think I know where you're going to go with it. But what is football fitness? Yeah, now, that's why I said I was looking forward to your questions because uh, I, <laughs> you probably understand yourself that that's a very funny question given the title of your podcast. So now you ask me to explain the meaning of the title of your podcast, um, which is funny. Um, well, uh, the, 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 the question is, is, is very uh, logical uh, I mean, it should not be logical, but it is logical given all the chaos and confusion in the football world. 
uh, where um, people think that experience is of a higher order than knowledge. Uh, if you uh, uh, just imagine that you are ill and uh, you go to, uh, to the doctor, uh, what, what doctor would you choose? Would you choose the doctor with a lot of medical knowledge or would you choose the doctor with a lot of medical experience? Well, and I think for most people who are watching, uh, answering the, or asking the question is answering the question. Uh, probably everybody would go for the doctor with a lot of medical knowledge. And it doesn't mean that experience is not valuable because experience is also important. But knowledge is of a higher order than experience. So that's basically the conclusion of this metaphor. And that is why people prefer a doctor with medical knowledge over a doctor with medical experience. So in normal life, knowledge is of a higher order than uh, experience. And you would expect the same in the football world. But uh, as uh, everybody probably uh, recognizes, in the football world, people with 100 games for the national team are higher in the food chain than people with a lot of knowledge. So now all of a sudden, it's the world upside down, yes? So when they are ill, knowledge is of a higher order than experience. But then in football, all of a sudden, experience is of a higher order than knowledge. And like I said, that's the world upside down. But it is something that we have to deal with, at least for the time being that the football world is a very subjective uh, world based on opinions, experiences, so very arbitrary information, and people are judged based on results rather than on processes, uh, which is the logical consequence of a world lacking uh, knowledge. So what does that mean for your question? In a serious profession, you would not have asked this question because in serious professions like uh, aviation or medicine or something else, terms like football fitness would have been defined already very clearly and objectively decades ago. But in our subjective, arbitrary, random trial and error uh, football world with a very low bar, Everybody is free to have his own subjective definition of football fitness. And that is why your question should not be logical. But given the landscape that I just described, uh, it is a logical question. So let's start. And I'm going to answer this question not subjectively uh, like people normally do, but in an objective and, and philosophical way uh, so that we uh, define football fitness uh, the way it should be. So let's start with the first hypothesis. Football fitness is fitness in the football context. What would you say? Is that, a, is that a hypothesis that we can confirm or uh, should we falsify it? What do you think? I think that's, that's fair. Yeah. So football fitness is fitness in the football context. Yeah. You don't have to be Einstein to understand that that is correct. That is logical reasoning. This, first of all, and we will talk about that later, this, first of all, means that you, if you are training outside the football context, you are not developing football fitness. That is the logical consequence of this hypothesis. Do you agree? I think there's, you're making a valid point on that. Yeah, so... Football fitness is fitness in the football context. And if you are training outside the football context, then apparently, uh, as a logical consequence of this initial hypothesis, if you are training outside the football context, you are developing outside football fitness, uh, something else than football fitness. Because for football fitness, you need the football context. Okay. So that is the, the first uh, phase of our logical reasoning rather than just sharing arbitrary opinions. And then the next step is if fitness, if football fitness is fitness in the football context, the next step is what is the football context? 
Uh, because then you have to describe the football context. And then fitness is a logical consequence of that definition of the football context. So now the next question is, what is football? Yeah? Uh, in other words, what is the football context? Well, I often ask this question in my courses. If I have 50 people in front of me and I ask these 50 coaches, what is football? What do you think is going to happen in the classroom? Do you think they're going to give 50 similar answers or 50 different answers? What do you think? I think it, it would be hard to narrow right down unless you're just repeating that it's a, a sport. Like, it depends how much detail you're going to go into. Yeah, yeah that's true. You, uh, you get 50, um, 50 different answers, obviously with some overlap. But first of all, everybody's going to use his own words. That's already funny. Mm -hmm. So it's the biggest sport in the world. And we have a lot of people who take themselves very seriously in this football world. Yes. But we don't have a common language. So everybody is using his own words to come up with his own definition yeah which is something we would never ever accept from a pilot yeah? just imagine that you sit in a plane and that the pilot is gonna invent his own words are you gonna stay in the plane or are you going out what do you think i'm not sticking around yeah you see so in the football world we behave in a way that we would never accept uh, accept from a pilot or from a surgeon who is about to do heart surgery with you Yeah, you would also not accept that from him. So the question now is, yes, what is that football context? In other words, what is football? Well, if you, if you objectively analyze football, then yeah, you are observing uh, football players and those football players are interacting with the football environment. So you, you are observing football interactions football actions. And just imagine that I have the ball and you are my teammate. And before you and I are doing anything, the first thing that we are going to do is exchange information. Yeah, we, I am sending information to you and you are perceiving that information. You are sending information to me. I am perceiving that information either verbally or non-verbally. Yes, and this exchange of information is what we call communication. Yes, so in football of the highest order is communication. And then based on that communication, this exchange of information with your environment, you then make a decision and then you execute that decision. So football and football interactions, football actions is communication, decision, and the execution of a decision. So CDE uh, as a shortcut. And this is, for example, the reason why Lionel Messi looks a different player with Barcelona compared to when he's playing with Argentina. He is the same player. He is exactly the same human being, but he looks a different player with Argentina. Because in football, in the team sport football, there is at team level something bigger even than the best player in the world. Yeah, so in an individual sport, nothing is bigger than, for example, Usain Bolt. But in a team sport, there is something bigger than the best individual in that team sport. And that is communication. Yeah, in Barcelona, they are training with each other every day. So they can read each other's body language. So the verbal communication is very well developed. And with Argentina, there's a lot of miscommunication because they hardly train with each other. So uh, Lionel Messi is the ultimate proof that communication is of the highest order in football, higher even than the best individual. And then based on the communication, you have the decision-making and the execution of a decision. And this communication, decision, and execution is what you call somebody's football ability. That is how good you are. So that is, that is step number one. 
CDE is football ability. That is how good you are, how good you can pass once, how good you can press once, how good you can shoot or hit once. Yeah, that is your 100%. Usain Bolt used to have this ability in his context, and that's it. Yeah, Usain Bolt doesn't need sprinting fitness. He only needs sprinting ability because it was one sprint, finish, yeah, finito. In football, we do not only need the ability to do something once at as good as possible. In other words, your 100% is as high as possible. You also need the ability to perform football actions more than once. Yeah, and that is what we call football fitness. So, first of all, you must be able to perform more football actions per minute, yeah, to play with a higher tempo in the first half. Secondly, you must be able to maintain good football actions, yeah, maintain 100% for 90 minutes. And thirdly, you need the ability to maintain many football actions. In other words, you must be able to maintain the frequency to maintain the high tempo, even in the last part of the game. So when you talk about football ability, you talk about better actions. Yeah? You want to improve your passing, which means that you should improve communication, decision, and execution. Mm. Uh, you improve uh, better football actions. That is your ability, football ability. And your ability to do it more frequently, so more football actions per minute, or your ability to maintain the quality, maintain 100%, so maintain good actions, or your ability to maintain the frequency, maintain many football actions, those three, more actions, maintain good actions, and maintain many actions, that is your football fitness. Yes? So you have football ability, communication, decision, execution, and you have football fitness. And football fitness means that you must be able to do communication, decision, and execution more than once. Hmm. Yes? And what you can prove with this philosophical, eh, because it's very philosophical what I'm doing right now, but yeah, that is exactly the problem in the football world, that we don't have football philosophers who clearly define uh, what we are talking about in football. This definition of football fitness is basically communication, decision, and execution, a football action more frequently. Communication, decision, and execution, and then maintaining the quality of that. So maintaining good communication, decision, execution. And the third one, maintaining many communication, decision, execution, uh, football actions. Hmm. So as a result, you can say that first of all, football fitness and football ability are two different things. And you have also proven now that football fitness is not something else than football. Uh, fitness is not something else than football. Fitness is football. Fitness is the ability to do communication, decision, execution more than once. You see? And that is why it is so funny that you see players running around the pitch, sprinting between cones, jumping over hurdles. Yes? So football players who are training outside the football context. So they are developing outside football fitness, something else than football fitness. But people pretend that they are developing football fitness. Yeah? That is philosophically incorrect because you don't need fitness for football. Yeah? So in other words, you don't have to develop fitness before you can play football. So you don't need fitness for football. You need fitness in football. You need fitness in the football environment. 
because I'm a football player. I am in a football environment. I am interacting with my football environment. I can do that once really good. So that is my football ability. Oh, by the way, I am not Usain Bolt. I'm Lionel Messi. So I have to do it twice, three times, four times, 100 times, 500 times. In other words, I must repeat my football ability. And I must maintain the quality and the quantity of it, of communication, decision, exclusion. Mm. Yeah, and that is what you call football fitness. Now, and what you see is that, uh, and, and that is the question, why do I have to explain in this podcast or in courses or in books, why do I have to explain this philosophical definition of football fitness And why has nobody already done this thinking work 50 years ago? Yeah, why, why is everybody talking about football fitness in a subjective way? Like, uh, oh, for me, football fitness is this. No, 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 no. Football fitness is this. Yeah, so we are all playing the same sport. We are all coaching the same sport. So we are all talking about the same sport, but we're saying something else. Yeah. And, and that, is the, that is the big problem in the football world. And, and that is also what you saw in the last, uh, let's say, three or four months, when everybody was locked in his house uh, in, the, in the corona crisis. And on the internet, we have experienced a tsunami of content. Yes, and 99% you can throw in the bin. Yeah, It was all with good intentions. Because all these people are good people and they all have good intentions, but they were all sharing either arbitrary information or they were sharing information, but with their own words. So people were using the same words, but they meant something else, or they were using different words, but they mean the same thing. Yeah. So it was this tsunami of chaos football chaos on the internet. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, together we have to stop this. Yeah. Together we have to say, okay, till here, no further. From now on, we're going to raise the bar. We're going to develop a universal football language. So, we, so we're going to speak the same language. So language is no longer a barrier and things do no longer get lost in translation. And we're going to use universal references, universal definitions. Yeah, Because if, if we all use the same alphabet and we all use the same grammar, then we can talk about football. Yeah, But we are working in a world where everybody is developing his own alphabet and everybody is supplying his own grammar. Yes? You can't take that world seriously. Hmm. So I know I know you saw football, the definition of football fitness is only one of many examples. I just wanted to give a quick update on our online community. So for anyone that hasn't seen it, we have an online platform available at footballfitfed.com that hosts numerous webinars, football fitness webinars, and also our um, meeting presentations from our network meetings across the UK. So we have over eight hours of webinars available on the, on the community, as well as 10 of our network meeting presentations uploaded onto the community that you can watch on demand. And we have some very exciting webinars being released very soon too. So you can go and check them out, footballfitfair.com. If you click the community tab there, you can sign up to one month free on the community just to see what it's all about. Um, after that, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. You get access to all the content that's uploaded at the moment, including all future webinars and when we can get our network meetings going again you will get access to the presentations from the network meetings too, um, regardless whether you can make it to the meetings or not. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up to a free month there. Enjoy part two of episode 94 with Raymond Verheyen. I know you've touched on a, a couple of things there, Raymond, that I wanted to go into a bit more depth on. And one of them 
is the lockdown period? Because um, I know you've referred there more to what coaches have put out and um, the information they put out in this time. But also, I wanted to talk to you about the players' preparation this time as well, because obviously, depending where we are in the world, some leagues have restarted, some have been suspended, all the rest of it. But talking more from the UK perspective, which is where I am, um, players have been boxed up for 12 weeks, maybe, maybe, maybe a bit less, um, been training in their houses and now having to return to competition. So what's your, what's your views on the sort of approach that clubs take from now? Because it's quite a strange time, isn't it? Going straight into a competition like that when we've been, we've never really been in this situation before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a new situation for everybody. So that means that we don't have the literal knowledge that we need for, uh, to, to, to manage the current situation. Uh, we, we don't have knowledge or references or experiences from the past in similar situations. So it, it's new. So the only thing you can do now is you can take as a reference the situation that comes the closest to the current situation. And the situation that comes the closest to the current situation is the scenario of off-season and pre-season. Yes? And normally, uh, if you take, for example, professional football as a starting point, normally the off-season is, let's say, four weeks. So at the end of the season, let's say that the fitness of the players is 10. Yeah. And then in the off season, the fitness drops till five. And then you have pre-season where you try to get your football fitness back to 10. Yeah. So four weeks of off season is often followed by six weeks of pre-season. And not all six weeks are used to develop football fitness because part of the preseason is also used to uh, implement a new playing style if there is a new coach, implement new players in the playing style eh, if uh, certain players have left. But there will be at least four weeks required to get yourself back to match fitness and before you play the really serious friendly games as well. So four weeks of season, four weeks preseason. That reference four to four is as close a scenario uh, compared to the scenario that we are facing right now. And like you already said, the players have not had an off season of four weeks, but they have been relatively inactive for 10 to 12 weeks. And they have not been totally inactive, but relatively inactive because uh, they, they have not done team training sessions uh, and definitely not till the max. So normally in four weeks, their fitness drops from 10 till 5 to 5. And now the, it has dropped further, maybe 2 or even further. That means that you need longer than normal in preseason to get your players back to match fitness. So you need more than four weeks, which already puts in context what has happened in Germany and what is currently happening in Spain and Italy and England, eh, where the injuries are going through the roof. Eh, in Germany, the number of injuries is uh, two, something like 225% higher than normal. And it all is because of what we are discussing right now. Yes. And so players need more than four weeks. Yeah, you can objectively prove that uh, they need more than four weeks to get back to match fitness. Yes. And you can analyze now even in more detail because a lot of people are only thinking about... Um, match fitness uh, from, uh, for example, a physiological point of view, yes? But there is also an anatomical dimension because uh, football is a lot of stop-start, landing, sprinting, 
So an, a lot of deceleration, acceleration. And uh, with a deceleration, you have eccentric, eccentric contractions. So muscles are stretched, but also tendons are stretched. And you have shock absorption on joints and ligaments. So everything is stretched, yeah? which means that if, if your body is underloaded anatomically for 10, 12 weeks, it means that the moment you start doing football training again, the stretching of muscles, the stretching of tendons, the stretching of ligaments, the shock absorption uh, on, uh, on joints, the cartilage, that will be, the impact will be much higher than normally after the off-season. Because normally your body has been underloaded anatomically for four weeks, and now your body is underloaded 10, 12 weeks, which means that you have to uh, build it up more gradually and that your players will have more muscle soreness or tendon stiffness or pain in, your, in, the, in the joints more than they would normally have in the first few days of a preseason. So besides the physiological underload, there has been an anatomical underload. And the final one, and that's maybe uh, the most important one, there is a brain underload. Because normally in football, your brain, especially in the last part of the game, your brain has to suppress discomfort, either fatigue, either uh, pain, uh, disappointment, emotion, because you're too nailed down, or any other external factor. So uh, why is football so hard? Because in the last part of the game, you have to keep thinking task, but you will be more and more distracted by other things. Fatigue, pain, referee, emotion, whatever. So your brain starts to struggle to uh, suppress the discomfort and to keep thinking task. Now, your brain is now underloaded for 10, 12 weeks in terms of suppressing discomfort. And although we have suffered other discomfort, of course, during the corona crisis, but this specific, uh, specific football brain overload has been missing. And before the Bundesliga started, I, um, I uh, proposed a hypothesis, uh, and I did it in advance because then it's more objective. And my hypothesis was that teams will come back less frequently from 2-0 down after the corona crisis compared to before the corona crisis. So at 2-0 down and then still winning 3-2. Yes, that was my hypothesis. And so far, so far, uh, it hasn't happened at the highest level uh, at all. And we have already had quite some games still not enough to uh, the population is not enough or not big enough yet to make an objective statement and to and to confirm the hypothesis but it it's already clear that we're heading in that direction so physiological underload anatomical underload and brain underload in terms of suppressing discomfort is the third component that coaches have to take into account when they restart the, the football training again. So they have to be aware of the fact that their players will struggle more to keep going, to maintain football actions. And it takes time for their brain to get strong again. Yes, the players will have a weaker brain right now compared to three months ago. And it will take time before everybody's brain is strong again. In order, and strong brain means the ability to suppress discomfort 
and to keep thinking tasks. So physiologically, anatomically, and brain. Those are the three main areas that coaches have to uh, uh, or uh, have to take into account. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of takeaways, isn't there, with the games that have been played so far in terms of match speed, like you said, injuries and um, the effect of the crowd and or lack of crowd, should I say? There's a lot, of, a lot of things that are going into the game at the moment. Another area I wanted to touch on, Raymond, was um, an area that we, when it gets confirmed that we are going to go into a pre-season period, there'll be pre-season testing and monitoring done. So in terms of what you've touched on in terms of football fitness, how or should we monitor or test football fitness? Yeah, I mean, uh, the monitoring training load is also a very funny area um, because there are a lot of people who are uh, busy with monitoring training load, pretending that they are monitoring training load. But in fact, they are only monitoring part of the training load. First of all, uh, you want to monitor the football load. Yes. So what does football load means? It means the quality and the quantity of football actions. So communication, decision and execution, a football action. And then you want to monitor the quality and the quantity of those football actions. And as you know, that is not possible. There is no technology today that is able to monitor the quality and or the quantity of football actions, of communication, decision, and execution. So what you see now is that uh, people are monitoring the things that are a, a possible to monitor, which is, for example... Uh, standing still, uh, walking, jogging, running, sprinting, jumping, landing, etc. But that is not the football load. That is only the execution part of a football action. But it's not the total football action. Uh, people are monitoring uh, how much players are running or how much or how often players are sprinting. But that is not the training load. That is part of the training load. Because what can happen now is this. Somebody can make a lot of sprints or do a lot of running, but in a relatively uh, low complexity environment. So the, the load on the brain in terms of communication and decision-making is relatively low. While in another football situation, the player might end up running less or sprinting less often, but the player has to make a lot of decisions and he's communicating constantly with his environment. So here, running is high, but the load on the brain is low. And here, running is low, but the load on the brain is high. And what... When you talk about the training load, you can only pretend that you are measuring the training load if the brain is included in your measurement. Yeah, communication and decision-making. If the communication and the decision-making and the complexity, in other words, the load on the brain, is not included in your measurement, it means that you are not measuring the total training load, but you are only measuring part of the training load. Yeah? Because other load on the brain, for example, is missing. So that is one thing. Yeah? That people talk about training load as if it is the training load. No. Yeah, they use GPS systems. They pretend that they measure the training load, but they are not measuring the training load. They are measuring part of the training load. Yeah, because a training, and, and then they say, oh, when I sprint a lot, the training load is high. And when I sprint less, the training load is less. But you can't say that. You can't, because the muscles are the slaves of your brain. Yeah, so 
the load on the brain is much more uh, crucial than the load on the muscles. So now it's not only that the load on the brain is missing, now more importantly, the load of something that is of a higher order is missing, you see? So it is brain and it is running. Yeah. Why? Just imagine, I go one against one with the goalkeeper. Uh, maximum explosive action, one against one with the goalkeeper, and I miss. And transition moment. And immediately the goalkeeper throws the ball to his right fullback. Now I can do two things. I can think next action. So I immediately transition and start to, for example, chase the right fullback and press. Or I think last action. Oh, how can I miss? You see? The number of sprints, yeah, the number of sprints is now the consequence or the outcome of whatever happens here. If I keep thinking next action, I will make more sprints. If I think last action, oh, how can I miss? I will make less sprints. So do you see that when you are measuring sprints and you are measuring running, you are measuring a byproduct of a brain that was either able to think next action or was thinking last action, you see? Yeah. So I think you posted as well about Neil Mope, uh, Neil Mope, who um, played at the weekend. Who mentioned that in his in his post match. Yeah, um, Graham Potter, uh, the, Graham Potter, the coach of uh, of uh, Brighton. He is uh, he has studied uh, the the football thinking reference, and he's applying it with his team. So, the thing is that in the football world, people are talking about monitoring as if everything is clear. And it's as if everything is correct, but it's not. It's an illusion, yeah. which is fine as long as you are transparent about this illusion. Yeah? You are not measuring the training load. You are measuring part of the training load. Yes. And what is missing? The load on the brain. Oh, yeah, by the way, the load that is missing is of a higher order than the load that you are measuring. Because running is the consequence of the brain. Yeah, so that is already a problem. So you are measuring part and not the whole. And you are measuring a byproduct instead of the brain. And then the third problem is that when you are measuring running and sprinting, please use a system that is accurate. Yes. Why is the whole world pretending that they are measuring facts while in reality... They are using systems, GPS systems, that tell you, ah, 800 meter sprinting. Oh, by the way, it could also have been 700 or 900. Yes. And again, eh, if you are transparent about this uh, error of measurement, then I'm fine. Yes. If, if GPS systems would pay me to help them get the accuracy to 100%, I understand. But if, if GPS systems are not transparent about the error of measurement of GPS systems, and now the people have to pay them to use the system, that's the world upside down. I have to pay you for your inaccurate system. Yeah, And you are not telling me that the system is inaccurate, that there is a, an error of measurement and that your system is 15 hertz, for example, but five or 10 of those hertz are not real measurements, but algorithms. Yeah, So not real measurements. Yeah, Look, if you, if you give me money to help you get the accuracy to 100%, then I understand. Yeah. So to cut a long story short, you ask a question about monitoring. Problem number one, people are not measuring training load. They are measuring part of the training load. Second problem, the, the part that they are measuring 
is not of the highest order, the brain, but is of a lower order. It's the outcome of the brain. And then the third problem, the thing that they are measuring, there is an error of measurement. So, yeah, I think um, we still have some work to do. Um, but my main concern is the lack of transparency in this area, yes? Because I am saying all these things, yeah? But I should not be saying all these things, yes? This should be clear already for everybody around the world. But I guarantee you, there are people watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, and they hear these things for the first time, yes? And that is, that is worrying. And what is also worrying is that there will be people who are going to react on this podcast in an attempt to cover up. Yes, and that is the other worrying thing. And, and, and that is even more reason to say it in this podcast. But the majority of people are not even aware of this. And secondly, another part of the football world is going to react to this podcast in an attempt to play it down and to cover up. Yeah, and... Um, Yeah, basically, uh, this is another symptom of people who take advantage of all the gray areas in a subjective world. Yeah, the football world is a, is a subjective world. So there are a lot of gray areas and people can take advantage of gray areas. And this is just one example. Yeah, so there are a lot of things that we've touched on in in previous episodes actually and when we if we go back to where you talked about communication um that's come up a number of times with a number of guests and it, we've, we've brought up that importance of communication previously as well um i know you've not got too much time raymond so i want to i want to just make the most of these these final few minutes but one thing i wanted to sort of delve into just for a couple of minutes is um the idea and what i've heard you spoke about before on isolated and contextual speed work Because we've had a lot of people come on talking about speed um, and a lot of a lot of different approaches, I suppose you could say it in terms of in terms of speed work as well. So could we touch into that just, just for a couple of minutes? Yeah. And what exactly is your question? So in terms of where that fits into the into preparation. So we've spoke to a few guests that have talked about um, seeing where players are at and whether they need to work more physically on force output, things like that, or whether they actually, and where you've talked about the brain, it ties in really nicely because is it that they're not rec recognizing cues, recognizing stimulus, or is it the fact that they're not strong enough, they're not powerful enough, they can't move well enough? So where does that fit into the practice? Yeah. No, uh, in general, a football action is communication, decision, and execution. So your question is then related to the execution component within a football action. And um, what I can also introduce is a sub-reference because uh, both the decision-making and the execution of a decision uh, can be further specified with space-time characteristics. The first space-time characteristic of every football action is position. Yeah, horizontally, the position on the pitch, and vertically, the position of the body. And then from whatever position, then at some stage, the action starts. So that is the moment. So moment is the second space-time characteristic of a football action in terms of uh, your decision and the execution. And then... The moment you, the action starts, the action goes in a certain direction with a certain speed. So direction and speed are the third and the fourth space-time characteristic. So position, moment, direction, and speed. And this is not an arbitrary uh, reference uh, or sequence because it's a chronological sequence. Yeah? One comes before the other. Uh, because first you need to have a direction before you have speed. Because if there is no direction, you are standing still, and then speed is zero. Yeah, so direction comes before speed. So in terms of decision-making, uh, you have position, moment, direction, and speed. And in terms of execution, you have position, moment, direction, and speed. 
And your question specifically uh, within a football action has to do with execution. And within the execution, position, moment, direction, speed. So the speed of the execution. Well, initially, initially, you try to improve that in a football context because you want to be quick, a quick interaction with the football environment. That's basically what you want. And only when you see a deficiency in terms of uh, that you cannot solve it in a football context, then you might take uh, one step back and you start to train this individual in an isolated context. Yeah, sometimes that is necessary. But as you uh, hear uh, the way I explain it, uh, there is a rule and there is an exception on the rule. The rule is the football context. So the football interactions. And in this case, the speed of the execution of a football interaction. For example, uh, creating space, asking for the ball, pressing, can be anything. And ideally you uh, do that at the level of football actions, creating space. But sometimes you have to go one level lower to basic actions like sprinting. Uh, and sprinting is still an interaction because you are interacting with the ground, for example. So sprinting is still an interaction with the environment, but now it can be any environment because I can even sprint on the roof of my house. Uh, in other words, the environment doesn't matter anymore or the characteristics of the environment do not matter anymore. So now it is a basic action, a basic interaction, uh, an interaction with any environment, sprinting. And if you cannot solve it in an isolated sprinting situation, a basic action situation, you could now go one level lower to the level of movement. Uh, because maybe it is a movement within sprinting that is the problem. Uh, for example, uh, uh, ankle uh, mobility, uh, just, just a simple example. Uh, so you, you push off, and your ankle mobility, uh, your ankle is stiff, the mobility is low, and your push-off is relatively low. So you have football actions. A football action, for example, creating space, can be broken down in basic actions. So one football action can be broken down in several basic actions because if I create space and ask for the ball, I'm, I'm not only sprinting, but maybe I'm also pushing my opponent away. So pushing is a basic action. Sprinting is a basic action. So they are underlying basic actions uh, underneath the football action creating space. And then each basic action can be broken down in movements uh, because pushing, the basic action pushing, uh, one of the movements is, for example, elbow extension. Uh, so football action, basic actions, basic actions, movement. So what you see now is that I create a reference first before that I immediately, subjectively, answer your question based on what I have been doing the last 10 years. Yeah, Because that is what most people do. Uh, you ask them a question, stimulus, And then you get a response like, oh, yeah, I always do it like this. And uh, yeah, and I was working with that player and I did that yeah, and it worked really well, yeah? et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that, is, that, is the, that is common practice in the football world. Blah, 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 blah. And everybody moves on. While in a, in a world with knowledge as a starting point, you would expect that you create a reference first And then basically, the reference is the answer to the question, rather than my opinion. So the first question now is, the reference that I developed, is that correct? Because otherwise, we should discuss the reference. And then the moment there is consensus about the reference, then there is also consensus about all the logical consequences of 
the of the reference. So there is there is a, a place for isolated sprinting in football because it's a basic action, an underlying basic action. If there is a deficiency, if you can't solve it in a uh, football situation, and when does isolated training become a problem? When people start to use it as the rule. Yeah? When all 20 players have to do something in isolation. For example, kicking a ball from one cone to another cone. Yeah? And then, so 18 players can play four against one with their eyes closed and they still don't lose the ball. And now they have to kick the ball from one cone to another cone. That's boring, man. That is under, 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 under load. Yes? That is why it's so boring. It's You are underloading your players. So four against one is too easy. Uh, let's take out the defender. Yeah? That's, but, okay, again, eh, that is another symptom of the subjective football world. So when people use isolated training as a rule, then it becomes a problem. Because then you are not sticking to the characteristics and the definitions of football, communication, decision, execution. Because in isolation, there are no opponents. And when there is no opponent, you are not communicating with your opponent, you are not making decisions, and you are not executing decisions. So now you are doing something yeah, that is not does not fit in the football action definition. Yes. Uh, I always say uh, a football action is communication, decision, and execution. So it has three characteristics. But in isolated situation, two of those three characteristics are missing, communication and decision-making. And now my question to you is, if something has three characteristics and two of those three characteristics are missing, is the something now still the something? Or is the something now something else? <laughs> and again, eh, asking the question is answering the question. Mm. Eh, when there is communication, decision, and execution, then you call it passing. But when there is no opponent, and when there is no communication and decision-making anymore, it's not a football action anymore, because two of the three characteristics of a football action are missing, so now it's not passing, it's just kicking. It's a kicking exercise. You are kicking a ball. And how often does it happen that all 20 players are kicking a ball from cone to cone? How often does that happen in football? Well, oh, in a game or in... No, in training. Oh, in training. Well, you'd hope not that much, but... We both know the answer. Mm. So then people make the exception, they make it the rule. Now isolation is the rule and uh, you are stepping outside the definition of a football action. So to cut the long story short, there is a place for isolated sprinting or isolated something else as an exception on the rule if you cannot fix the deficiency in a football context. In that case, you have no, uh, you have no alternative. Because otherwise, somebody will never progress in the football context. So, so temporarily, you have to step outside the, the context. And oh, then that, back. That's great. And I really appreciate you going into that as well. And that time has absolutely flown. We're actually out of time there. But just before you go, Raymond, I just wanted to ask in terms of you guys, in terms of your football coach evolution, what have you got courses coming up? I know it might be a little bit different in terms of face-to-face -face courses at the moment, but have you got any information to give, any updates? Yeah, the face-to-face -face, uh, is, uh, is something that's probably going to happen uh, next year again. Um, but uh, what I've decided to do is uh, on September 1, I'm going to start with uh, an online mentorship for one year. And every month I'm going to cover uh, for one hour one topic. So for example, football tactics, uh, technique training, fitness training, periodization, psychology, nutrition, uh, 12 topics. And uh, besides those, uh, those one-hour courses every month, 
there will also be uh, one-hour Q&As uh, based on questions of, uh, of the delegates. And there will be also additional uh, content like uh, interviews with experts in the, uh, in, the, in the topic of that month or uh, maybe book reviews uh, in, the, in relation to the topic of that month. So we start on September 1 and uh, more information is on our website uh, fcevolution.com. Uh, and what is very important for uh, people who, uh, who want to join us, what is very important to understand is that this course, the objective of this course is to improve your thinking. Yes. So don't expect flavors of the month. Don't expect recipes. Uh, don't expect opinions. Don't expect uh, past experiences or anecdotes. No. What we're going to do is we are going to talk about all the different areas within football, but in an objective way, based on philosophically sound references to improve somebody's thinking. Because that is my most important message to everybody, that in football, everybody is copying everybody on YouTube, on Internet, on uh, everywhere, everybody is copying everybody, while what you need in reality is independent thinkers. So, what you should download in your brain is thinking tools, yeah, knowledge. So, tools that allow you to think. But downloading knowledge, so in other words, information that you can trust, is something else than downloading exercises. Yes. What we need is independent thinkers in football who download knowledge and then based on their knowledge in combination with your specific situation back home, the interaction between your knowledge and your external factors back home should result in your specific exercises independent of other people. Yes. So... Knowledge, yes, but don't copy other people's application. No, people should develop their own application back home. And uh, hopefully in the upcoming years, we, uh, we can develop a new generation of coaches who uh, are much more independent, knowledgeable thinkers. Well... I want to say thank you again for you giving up your time, Raymond. It's been great to chat. And, um, yeah, I wish you all the best with the, with the mentorship and the, and the courses. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck with your podcast. Thank you, Raymond. Right, bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed episode 94 of the podcast. Like I said at the start, Raymond was someone that I've always wanted to speak to and always wanted to get on the podcast. Um, I know there's many different views and opinions um, out there but I always like to speak to people before forming those views and opinions so it was great to have Raymond on and for him to give up his time and, and speak for everything that we that we spoke about on the podcast too so I think we got through plenty in that episode I think there's some good information in there so it'd be good to hear what your takeaways are um, on this episode some of mine were some that we've spoke about before language and communication being key um, and that's come up time and time again in previous episodes um, where Raymond uh, spoke about testing only testing part of football fitness so we, the need for transparency in our testing um, and just knowing what each test is actually testing um, and how we apply that to our practice going forward and then the place for isolated training so this has been a big debate I'm sure many people I've come across on social media and, and any sort of articles out there, um, the place and need for isolated training. So it was good to get Raymond's views on that, um, that there is a time and a place, um, but football comes first and then we slot in isolated training when we need it um, in the right circumstance. So it was great to speak to him. Go and check out his um, work. You can go and check out the website. I'll post the, the links in the show notes so you can go and check that out. But as always, big thank you to for listening to the podcast. 
Um, the, the reputation of the podcast is building all the time. We're getting loads of people reaching out and giving some great feedback on episodes. So I really do appreciate it. And the reputation of the podcast is growing, which allows us to bring these quality guests on the on the podcast. So thank you very much for all your support so far. Um, I'm just in the process of confirming the next few episodes, but I've got some really exciting guests lined up. And we are very close to that episode 100, which I am just in the process of speaking to certain people about to come onto the the podcast and I'm really excited to bring you a big episode for the episode 100 so big thank you again for listening and we'll speak to you next week <laughs>